Everybody loves the touchdown. Throws to the back of the end zone, and it is caught touchdown by Holmes. The grand slam. Fly ball to center field. Ethier has done it again. It's a grand slam. The buzzer beater. Gets it to LeBron for three for the win. Yes! But how did those players get to that moment? And who built the venue and signed the contracts? We dig into the business side of sports and give you the answers. This is Sports Business Radio, powered by Postano. Now, from our studios in Portland, Oregon, with Sports Business Radio, here's your host, Brian Berger. Well, thanks for checking out the only show in the country dedicated to covering the business side of sports on a global scale. We're excited to be powered by Postano. Follow them online at Postano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. You can visit my sports business blog, download the SBR podcast on demand. Just go to sportsbusinessradio.com. I am on Twitter at SB Radio. Coming up on the show this week, Brian Cheek, director of sports for Pistano. Boy, as college football and the NFL get underway, more and more teams, leagues, brands are engaging fans on social media. It's such a big part of the experience at venues now. And people want to see their name and their tweets and their pictures associated with their favorite team, league, brand. So we'll talk to Brian Sheik about how they're helping some big entities, whether it's the University of Oregon, which we talked about recently on this show, the Boston Red Sox, the Dallas Cowboys, the Arizona Cardinals. These are all teams Pistano is working with to help them engage their fans via social media. We'll talk to Brian Sheik on the show today. And then Jason Cole. Probably my favorite NFL reporter. He writes for the Bleacher Report. He's been on this show before. We're going to talk about some of the top sports business storylines heading into this NFL season. We'll also discuss the suspension of Colts owner Jim Ursay. Six games, $500,000 to him. J.J. Watt, defensive player for the Texans, signs a $100 million contract with lots of big upfront guarantees. That's all stuff we'll talk about with Jason Cole when he joins us on today's show. I'm joined by our executive producer, Brian Griggs. Griggs, how are you? Doing wonderful. Excited this time of year. I love fall, and uh, football obviously has kicked off, and I'm excited about that too. So it's a good time to be alive. <laughs> yeah, it's good. It's it's a fun time. Uh, the TV ratings go through the roof. I saw a stat the other day that I tweeted out that 97% of People watch sports programming live. So we talk a lot about the, you know, we talked with Ross Greenberg a few weeks ago. Why do networks pay so much money for the rights to sports programming? It's because they, people watch it live 97%. I mean, that's basically everybody. You're not skipping through the commercials. Advertisers love that. When you don't watch things live, you can watch on DVR or TiVo like I have and you just skip through the commercials. So sports programming is really, really big. And at the head of the heap is the NFL and college football. So already some big games. Uh, the Thursday night game with the Seahawks and Green Bay drew a big number on NBC. So, you know, it's just amazing to see. You think, can it ever top out? And it seems to keep going up and up and up as far as the TV viewership, but also as far as how much networks will pay for the Thursday night games, for the Sunday night games, for the Monday night games. Pretty soon we're going to have games on every night of the week. Yeah, and it's, I've noticed something too where it used to be Super Bowl was like where all the people saved their big commercials for to debut the new commercials. But even on the, the Seahawks Green Bay game, I saw some brand new. There was a two-minute GE commercial, uh, these big-time money guys just for games that are regular season games, and that was obviously the kickoff with the Super Bowl champs. But 
it's interesting how they're starting to sell spots for certain games because the audience is so big and these companies are producing brand new commercials for these games. Well, speaking of commercials, I also tweeted this out this week at SB Radio. CBS, according to multiple reports, they now have the Thursday night game. So they didn't have the kickoff game because NBC has that. But going forward, Thursday night football will be on CBS network TV. They're getting $500,000 for a 30-second spot. That's pretty darn good. You compare that to probably around the $4 million or plus that uh, – the Super Bowl will command for a 30-second spot. For a regular season Thursday night game, $500,000 for a 30-second spot. Not too bad, Griggs. It's also crazy, too. They're bringing the music artists. I mean, Pharrell was at that Seahawks game. Uh, uh, Ariana Grande, I did the National Anthem. I mean, they're bringing the stars, the music, and each of these games just gets bigger and bigger with uh, the TV audience. All right, let's talk about some more headlines. After three years of battles, the NFL and the NFL Players Association have intensified negotiations to implement HGH testing for the first time in league history, in addition to revamping its drug testing policy. This is per multiple sources. They're trying to get this done as soon as this Sunday when most of the slate of games kick off, Greg. This is something that's been discussed for a long time. A lot of people have looked at the NFL and said they lag behind a league like Major League Baseball as far as drug testing goes. This would be a big step for the league. And something else that uh, Roger Goodell could kind of get off his plate and say, "Look, we're doing a good job with our drug testing." Yeah, I think it's. I think the right. I think the the people saying that they're a little behind. Uh, I think that's correct, and I think it is a good thing to do. I think it'll it'll help the league if they do it correctly, and it's not a big, huge, you know, mess. But I think if it's done correctly, and uh, you know, I think it's going to help. So last show we talked about Kevin Durant having a ten year. million offer on the table from Under Armour, but because of his longstanding relationship with Nike, they had the option to match that offer or, you know, somehow keep Kevin Durant in their stable of athletes. And to my somewhat surprise, even though Nike, you know, is a multi-billion dollar company and can more than afford to pay Kevin Durant, LeBron James, Tiger Woods, Roy McIlroy, and everyone else, uh, they exercise the option to keep Kevin Durant. So Kevin Durant will remain with Nike. And as I said on Twitter this week, I think one of the big reasons Kevin Durant is happy to be staying with Nike is because he's got longstanding relationships with some of the sports marketing reps and the people that he's worked very closely with. I don't think he wanted to leave Nike, but boy, it's hard to turn down $285 million. So now if you get to stay with the people you've built that relationship with at Nike and get the money, it's a dream scenario for Kevin Durant. Yeah, and I think he, he was excited. We, he tweeted out pretty much right after it happened. Uh, you could tell he's excited because he's not a huge tweet guy, but he, uh, he sent it out saying happy to be back with Nike. And, you know, I was kind of hoping just for the fun of it that he'd go with Under Armour just to see what they do with the marketing and the, the commercials and, you know, because it's not really a basketball company. So that would have been kind of interesting, but I guess uh, Nike wins out. Ah, uh, but don't worry, Griggs, because two days after Durant said he's staying with Nike, Under Armour signed... Giselle, Mrs. Tom Brady, Giselle Bungeon is now in the stable of endorsers for Under Armour. I tweeted out her commercial this week. Uh, it's her kickboxing, pretty intense commercial, surrounded by uh, a bunch of criticism that's posted and projected on the wall. If she's uh, kicking the you-know-what out of a, a punching bag. Um, but, you know, I don't know. They They obviously... Probably were going to sign her even if they didn't sign Durant. I'm sure they had to pay her handsomely 
But they're starting uh, Under Armour Women's line, and she's kind of the face of that line. It makes a lot of sense because Tom Brady is an endorser for Under Armour, so you keep it in the family, Griggs. Yeah, definitely keep it in the family. And that, that commercial is intense. It's, a, it's well done, and uh, it is kind of exciting to see another one kind of you know coming up. It's, it's not just Nike or Adidas. Now you got Under Armour throwing their uh, hat in the ring, and it's kind of fun to see it. All right, our last topic in our segment here, uh, U.S. Open. I don't know if you've been watching – I've always been a big tennis fan dating back to the days of McEnroe and Connors and Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. I used to play tennis when I was younger. And I'll tell you, uh, Roger Federer against Monfils, the, the French guy, boy, he was down two sets and Federer reached deep inside and came back and won that match in an epic match, really uh, ran away from him in the fifth set. But you know, Federer, you just – you see guys down match point or double match point or ladies, and you go, wow, that's so much pressure. Like if you double fault, you're done, or if you mishit it, you're done. And he climbed out of that hole, and he's done it so many times, and uh, he really showed the heart of the champion. And I'm pulling for Federer the rest of this way. You know, I like Joker, but uh, I want Federer to win this. Yeah, I agree. And tennis is fascinating. I, I love the major tennis uh, events because they're just – it's such a battle, and these three, four-hour matches, and it's, like you said, it's, it's just them. I mean, one bad serve, one bad, you know, hit back or whatever, it, it's over. And it's, uh, that's what makes it so intense. And I, I agree with you. I love watching the, the tennis, especially the majors. And there's so many good, compelling matches. And there's the underdogs that come up there and, and show up, and all of a sudden you've got a known name that, who's this? And they're playing against uh, some of the best and, you know, sticking with them. It's fun, very fun. Well, and there's no Dadal in the men's draw right. for the U.S. Open. So Federer has an easier path. Not that it's easy, but it's easier than if you've got to face a defending champ. And Nadal, you know, most people debate, is Nadal the greatest ever? He's closing in on Federer as far as majors. Is Federer the greatest ever? It would have been great to see them match up in this. But uh, it's going to be fun the rest of the way. And I'm pulling for Federer. I really like what Nike has done with his apparel and his outfits during the U.S. Open. Uh, some great color schemes. I like the shoes. You know, I think his brand has really taken off. And there have been some great interviews with him recently, including uh, our friend John Wartime from Sports Illustrated, who does such a great job covering tennis and is the executive editor, had probably the most in-depth interview I've ever read with Federer. Um, and I learned a lot about Federer and his family and his career and where he's at in his life right now. So, I'd encourage you, I tweeted it out at SB Radio, but you can also just Google John Wartime and Roger Federer, Sports Illustrated. Really good story. All right, coming up next, we're going to talk to Brian Cheek, the director of sports for Pistano. After that, it's Jason Cole. We'll dig into the NFL as the season is about to get underway. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in the know at sportsbusinessradio.com. Podcasts, blogs, and more powered by Postano. SBR will be right back. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. 
even better. Using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to Pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O.com. The website is sportsbusinessradio.com. My guest is Brian Cheek. He is with Pistano Sports. Pistano is our partner here on Sports Business Radio. They're also our partner and the presenting sponsor at the Sports PR Summit. They do great work with uh, social media visuals and really bringing those conversations to life. You can find all their great work at Pistano or at Pistano.com online. Brian, how are you? Yeah, I'm doing great, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Uh, boy, this is a great time of year for sports. The fall, you've got the NFL and college football going on. The NBA is not too far away. We've got Major League Baseball, golf, a plethora of activities. And I know that Pistano is on the cutting edge of all of it. Uh, share with our listeners what you guys are up to. Yeah, great. Uh, it is a great time of the year. I'm a huge hockey fan, so getting pretty excited for the puck to drop again in October. Uh, but as you mentioned, all the sports are extremely active right now. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's, uh, new innovation time. It's new seasons. It's what can we do for our fans to showcase, you know, user generated content that theme seems to really be obviously progressing, uh, into this season as well. Uh, we worked with the Cowboys. Um, so have had two obviously games with them, um, introducing some new, Stadium visualizations into AT&T Stadium, which is obviously a great, you know, palette to work with. 60-yard screens, pretty remarkable. No kidding. So we delivered a photo mosaic to them, which rotates through several kind of fan photos as backdrops. And we populate it with all the awesome photos on Instagram and Twitter and animate it to come to life on that on that 60-yard screen. The fans are, are just eating it up. Um delivered a couple collage visualizations that they can push to the concourse. They can push to their outdoor screens and their fan fest areas. They've got a great sponsor behind them in Carnival Cruise Line that's doing some of their sponsorship for in the stadium. Uh, so that, that took off really well. Uh, one of the things we've uh, started to do a lot of, too, is some voting and polling type of activities in stadiums. So uh, case in point, Arizona Cardinals, new partner of ours this year. Uh, delivering a Papa John's player of the game visualization. And so the way that works is in the third quarter, you know, they choose the three players that they want fans to vote for their Papa John's player of the game. Um, in the back end of our platform, we've programmed all the players with their hashtag, their last name, and their number. And so from a implementation perspective, we've made it really easy in the platform for the Arizona Cardinal digital staff to go in activate those three hashtags for the players that they want to be voted on and then automatically create the three screens that they can then put up on their end zone screen, their new digital screen um, in Glendale Stadium. And so we generate the first screen, which has the three headshots of the players, the hashtags we want them to vote with, uh, and a Papa John's logo. And then throughout the third quarter and fourth quarter, we have this really cool voting progression visualization, which is a football backdrop. It's got some Cardinal branding, Papa John's branding, and it's showing a football going left to right of the player that's winning in the vote tally at that moment in time. 
And then at any time they want to go to the winner, they go to the winner screen and it shows the headshot of the, of the one player that got the most votes. And they typically interview that player on the field. So starting to do a lot of kind of in-venue type of um, voting type of things. Uh, we're going to be working on some stuff with the LA Kings this year, a great partner of ours, very innovative, willing to try and execute you know, new things that we're working on. So we've got some really cool stuff that hopefully we can talk to you about um, in a month's time that we're going to be deploying in Staples Center this year. Went through an upgrade with some of the Oregon Ducks. Quack Cave visualizations had their first game on Saturday. Um, numbers of content just continue to be incredible for the Ducks in that franchise. So always fun, obviously, to work with them. And then our first kind of uh, venue uh, that we did uh, for golf um, just, just did the uh, Portland Classic LPGA tournament um, here this past weekend. And we actually... Uh, resurrected a social tower. And so I encourage people to Google LPGA Social Tower Portland Classic. There's some great photos on there. There's been some write-ups on blogs. Uh, we resurrected a 20-foot tower that had three sides, uh, three 10 by 10 digital screens around each side, all branded with uh, Cambia Health. They did a great job sponsoring the underlying sponsor for the tournament. Um, it became like the focal point of the of the practice area and kind of general area where the foot traffic was. Um, great reaction to it. It looked awesome. Survived all the elements of you know rain and sun and extreme heat and and everything else. So we're we're pretty happy with the way that execution went. So uh, real like you mentioned, real busy time of the year. October is awesome, and you know launching new new things with Cowboys, Cardinals, Texas Tech, Oregon, LPGA some hockey teams uh, soon to be announced. Uh, so it's a little hectic around here. <laughs> well, that's good. It's a good problem to have. Brian Cheek from Pistano Elite, their sports division, is joining us. You can find Pistano on Twitter at Pistano. That's P-O-S-T-A-N-O. It just seems like brands, leagues, teams, they all crave more conversation around what they're doing. And what you're able to do is capture all of that conversation, aggregate it, and then, you know, it's just such a great recipe. Um, we see at Levi Stadium, the new home of the 49ers, they've got a social media lounge. There are other teams that are employing these social media lounges at sports venues. Uh, what do you think that trend is going to look like going forward? Yeah, I think, I think that trend is only going to enhance itself as we move forward. Uh, we pretty well aware, right, in sports that you're competing with great TV screens at home, the luxury of sitting on your couch and having lesser expensive beverages. So that, that game experience is, is really critical. Nothing rewards a fan more than that fan being able to associate themselves either closer to an athlete that they admire, closer to the team that they love. So that brand affinity is probably the strongest, right? And whether it's a, a retail brand connection or it's a sports team, right? So that reward to that fan, getting them closer um, is done in several ways. And, and one of the ways in which you can do that is, is obviously reward them with the pictures that they are sharing on social networks, right? So products like, you know, ours, not only do you get that instant gratification of that fan on that jumbotron or that, that, social lounge display, 
But in addition to that, right, that fan is contributing that content on social networks. So the amplification is always leveraged through the social platform. So, you know, case in point, not sports related, but we recently did the Essence Festival in New Orleans, which is one of the largest festivals of its kind in, in North America. Um, and we completely transformed that conference into a social experience. And throughout the five days, they had over 90,000 submissions on social because it was everywhere they went. But if you took 90,000 submissions and you took an average of a couple hundred followers per person, I mean, you're in the multi-millions of impressions, right? So the brand, the fan benefits instantaneously with that moment in time, their, their, their five seconds of their picture up there with the brand but the brand itself and the teams, right, get huge, right, impression exposure over the social network. So it only behooves them to take advantage of all this great content. Everybody's a digital producer. You know, they're taking incredible photos with their smartphones. It's only going to get better. You're seeing Instagram, you know, give you the ability to create these amazing videos now. Uh, so that that trend's obviously just going to continue to to elevate and allow people to create amazing things. Um, and so that experience in that ballpark, whether it's a, a social lounge where where people can get their phone charged, they can see you know themselves associated with the team, other activities. You might be able to upgrade your seats if you're the social fan of the game. You know those types of things I just think are going to continue. And, and look, the sports industry has some of the most creative, smartest people there are. So we uh, we can't even imagine, right? Some of the things that these creative teams are going to come up with. So Soccer X is coming up in the UK soon, and you guys are a sponsor of that. Tell us what you'll be doing at Soccer X. Yeah, so we have a, a, a pretty good, ambitious goal here at Pistano to extend our brand um, into Europe. Uh, this is we've we've been doing it uh, a little bit over the past 12 months, but this is kind of really our coming out party. Um, we've added a, a significant individual to our team, Richard Nightingale, who was uh, many many years at, at Nike and Umbro, and particularly launched um, soccer uh, initiatives at Nike. So he's joined our he's joined our team recently, and so we're kind of having our coming out party next week, uh, where the underlying social sponsor for Soccer X. Uh, we'll be exhibiting, we'll be speaking, a 45-minute session on user-generated uh, campaigns. Uh, so pretty excited to get in front of, of obviously, the, the premier conference for that particular marketplace. You know, the fans, obviously, of soccer are the most nuts of all. Um, and so the, the content being created, I mean, you're seeing, you know, Huge clubs even come over to the United States and open up offices. FC Bayern Munich, right, that was just out here for MLS All-Star Week, you know, has set up an office in New York and Manhattan, um, have staffed it with a dozen people, solely responsible for, you know, that brand's initiatives um, in the United States. And so um, then we're going to see more and more of that. Um, soccer is obviously a world world sport, great great fans. Um, and so we're, we're pretty excited to you know, kind of get our, our hooks in over in Europe. Um, I think we've brought on a, the right person to kind of lead that initiative. So that's uh, setting up on Sunday over in Manchester, UK. We got obviously lots of meetings set up going over to Ireland for, for a couple of days. Um, so that's going to be uh, really awesome. Hope to come back with, you know, some, some great uh, business leads. That's going to be fantastic. I've said on this show many times, I've seen the power of Pistano at the Sports PR Summit, my event in New York at the MLB Fan Cave. And 
you know, you really took our social conversations to the next level. We were trending at one point by the hashtag sports PR summit during the event. It was just fantastic. So, you know, the work I see you doing with the Dallas Cowboys and the Arizona Cardinals and the Oregon Ducks and these tremendous brands, the LA Kings, the Boston Red Sox, the list goes on and on. It's really cool to see where these conversations are going. And you're right. People who attend the events as fans, they want to see themselves associated with those brands that they're so passionate about. So it's, it's fantastic. Yeah. It's a, uh, it's an exciting time, you know, to be, you know, in this market right now. Um, I mean, our, our office is just uh, buzzing right now with, with obviously workload, but you know, when you, when you get to see the, the efforts of your work being showcased in these premier sports organizations, premier retailers, I mean, we've got New York fashion week, right. Happening starting this week as well. So, so that whole vertical team is, you know, uh, on the edge as well. So, it's not obviously just, you know, sports where Pistano resonates, um, obviously the topic of, of this show, but, you know, several other verticals are, are experiencing that same type of adoption and, and, and growth. And like you mentioned, the trends, I think, are just going to, you know, continue to accelerate. Well, we have a lot of key influencers and key decision makers who listen to this show, and I invite you to go to Pistano.com. That's P-O-S-T-A-N-O.com. You can also find them on Twitter at Pistano. That's Brian Cheek. Brian, thank you so much for joining us on Sports Business Radio. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Brian. We'll talk later. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. This is Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger, powered by Postano. Hi, it's Brian Berger, host of Sports Business Radio. When I'm not on the radio, I team with nationally known sports writer and broadcaster Rick Buecher, former Nike PR senior executive Lee Weinstein, and veteran strategic communications executive John Lashway to form media and social media training firm Everything is on the Record. The Everything is on the Record team provides a unique blend of strategic PR and journalism expertise to our clients. We have worked in the trenches in corporate boardrooms with CEOs and company spokespeople. We've also worked in newsrooms alongside editors and reporters. Everything is on the Record uses an innovative and unique approach to media training. Through the use of current media and social media examples tailored specifically for you, we prepare you for how best to relate to the digital media world that exists today. Whether you're meeting with a reporter, sitting at your home computer, or typing on your smartphone, you're on the record. We'll also put you through real-life scenarios where you'd be dealing with a reporter so when you see the real thing, you'll be well-prepared and comfortable. With a goal of enhancing your image, protecting your reputation, and helping you connect with the people who are most important to your brand, we will show you how to develop the skills you need to be successful in a world where everyone has a camera, a recorder, and a desire to make news. For more information on our services and to learn more about our team of communications all-stars, go online to everythingisontherecord.com. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter at everythingisontherecord.com. You can call us today at 503-701-2215. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. My guest is Jason Cole. He's been on our show many times before, does a great job covering the NFL for the Bleacher Report. You can find him on Twitter at Jason Phil Cole. Jason, thanks for joining us. How are you? Um, very good. What's going on? Just excited for the NFL season, but I got to tell you, the season, the off season to me 
You know, I know there's a lot of excitement for the season to get started, but I look at Roger Goodell and I see him more as a disciplinarian in the role that he's been put in <laughs> and principal than a guy who's a visionary for a league. I was on the uh, San Diego Union Tribune website today. They've kept a database of all arrests in the NFL since the year 2000. Just in 2014 alone, there have been 36 player arrests. And I look at that and I go, you know, that's something that you just can't turn a blind eye to with the NFL. What do you make of just all of the disciplinarian problems and legal problems that have dominated the headlines this offseason? Well, I think that, A, given what the workforce looks like in terms of youth and in terms of empowerment with money early in life, and probably, you know, a fair amount about background. You know, these, you know, a lot of these guys come up from impoverished backgrounds that are probably not extraordinarily disciplined. But I would also argue that a lot of this is not, you know, if you took a group of any 2,000 employees um, in the age bracket that we're talking about, it's probably not a whole lot different. It's just accentuated by money. Like, I'm sure there are a lot of pot arrests for 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 kids between the ages of 21 and 26 if they're even working for like the US Postal Service like I, and we just don't see those statistics as a comparison but i think that these guys probably have the problems get worse because the money is bigger so that the opportunity to do something stupid happens so i i don't i, I try and keep it in some kind of perspective of what does the rest of the world look like in this category. And it's bad, but I think sometimes it's bad because we shine a really big light on it. Yeah, we definitely do. Uh, the NFL set a new policy recently. Rarely have you seen the NFL come out and say, you know what, we got this wrong. We're going to fix this as best we can with the Ray Rice penalty. Two games for domestic violence. That didn't change, but they did announce a new domestic violence and battery and assault uh, conduct penalty, and it was much more harsh. What did you make of the NFL kind of saying, you know what, we didn't get it right the first time? I think that they underestimated the value of the video uh, on the Ray Rice case. Okay. I think they didn't interpret that when people see something for themselves, right. um it angers them a lot more. It's sort of like the, the it's the same thing as I can't remember the name of the the executive who just got fired from the uh, catering company, the, the stadium catering. Right, catering center company. plate. Right. So you know, it, it's one thing to say, "Oh, this guy kicked his dog." It's another thing to see it right. on video. It's one thing to say Ray Rice got a domestic violence charge. It's another thing to see him drag his his girlfriend now wife out of the out of the elevator and now imagine how did she end up on the floor and so that that's much more damaging um you know it, it's it's like watching a movie basically and this is all of a sudden real life so there's a visceral response to it totally different type of situation but colts owner jim ursay this week suspended six games fined half a million dollars, which is the maximum amount an owner can be fined. There was a lot of discussion about, okay, what's the NFL going to do here with an owner, and how are they going to rule in that regard in comparison to what they've done with players? Did you think that the league got the Jim Ursay penalty right? 
Well, given the rules, yeah. I mean, the maximum amount of fine is is $500,000. I think there's a good point to be made, and it was made on Pro Football Talk, that when players get suspended for two, three, four games, depending on how much their salary is, that that's actually more, it's more substantial because of the amount of money that they lose in fines and suspension than what Irsay got. But the single fine amount is the largest that you can you can uh, hit a team or player or uh, you know or or executive with in a single amount of money is five hundred thousand dollars. So if you're saying okay, you give them the max penalty there, and six games is pretty substantial. Now I know everybody's mocked the six games because they say oh well he gets to watch from his yacht instead of from his right. owner's box, and yeah, you know, and that's a fair point. Um, I think that there needs to be some discussion internally within the NFL of saying, look, we have to have some level of proportional fine monetarily, but there's not really a lot you can do other than that. Yeah, you keep an owner away from the day-to-day business, but let's be serious. You know, I mean, Jim Irsay is going to know what's going on with major financial decisions. It's, you know, in that, in that six game period of time, nobody within the Colts organization is doing anything completely out of turn or out of step with what Jim Irsay would want done financially. Yeah. I mean, it's just so interesting to me, Jason. I look at the recent NBA situation with Donald Sterling and that whole deal. It's really hard for these leagues to govern the owners, because there's a lot more leeway for the owners than there is for the players because they own the team. Well, I think the the L word is not necessarily leeway, but um, litigation. Yeah. It's <laughs> probably the L word that you're looking for because, you know, I mean, we're talking about very rich, powerful people who can go to extreme steps to guard their assets, which they should. In the Sterling case, I think if not for Shelley Sterling, We'd still be tied up in court, you know, for the fact that she basically took control of this and wanted to get out of it and basically cash the check. Um, if it was just Don- Donald Sterling against the NBA for control of the team, this would be a lot uglier. We're talking NFL with Jason Cole of the Bleacher Report. Great follow on Twitter at Jason Phil Cole. All right, let's talk some NFL uh, numbers, some big contracts this week. Uh, J.J. Watt, a $100 million deal, I think $51 million guaranteed. He's been tremendous with the Texans. Did you think that was a, a contract that kind of lined up correctly, or is it too much money to pay to someone uh, on the defensive side of the ball? No, it, it lines up correctly. In fact, I thought Houston was a little bit generous with this one because if you look at the structure, they have him under control for – you know, basically three years, um, and probably four, because they've got the option year. They've got uh, they've got the fourth year of the contract this year. They've got the um, the option year next year, and then they can franchise him probably twice at a reasonable price. If you add up all those numbers, I don't want to go through each specific number, but if you add it up, you get to about thirty-two million dollars. So they gave him. A real guarantee, which I which I find hilarious if you're on in business, that there's a difference between a guarantee and a real guarantee yeah. because guarantee is supposed to mean guarantee, right? But the real guarantee in this contract is about thirty million dollars up front. He gets the remainder twenty million of that guarantee, I think, in 2016, 
if things click over. So it's not, you know, like you can't take this piece of paper to the bank. You can't take it to Morgan Stanley and say, oh, by the way, I'd like to, you know, I'd like to borrow $50 million against this. They won't loan that to you. But you could probably borrow, you could borrow $30 million against it and, and feel pretty secure about it. Um, so that's a fair contract. That It also likely means that he will see the $50 million. So I thought that Houston was more generous than they necessarily had to be. I, you haven't seen that in the other deals from 2011, which is Patrick Peterson, or at least the first rounders, Patrick Peterson and Tyron Smith. Certainly didn't see that in the Colin Kaepernick deal uh, or the Andy Dalton deal. So this is a step in the right direction from the player side. Well, if the report is true, the day after signing this deal, J.J. Watt was in the weight room at 4 a.m. And, uh, you know, he just seems to have great work ethic, and you never read about the guy having any problems off the field. So, uh, you know, pretty happy for guys like that. Let me, well, I, w- I will also say, um, Brian, if somebody signed a check to you for $30 million, would you be sleeping? <laughs> no, I would at not. At 4 a.m. the next day? Yeah, I wouldn't be. I mean, I, I, you know, I'd probably go to work just to, to, to lift weights to get the adrenaline out of my system just so I could calm down. Yeah, I definitely hear you. Let's talk about Michael Sam. Everyone else in the world has been talking about him this week. Signs on the Cowboys practice squad. Uh, I read some of your tweets this week. You know, I too think that, uh, you know, when's the last time that you saw this much, uh, just, uh, notoriety around a guy signing with a practice squad? I thought he had a really good preseason. Do you think he sticks on that Cowboys roster? Oh, yeah. They're terrible. Yeah, their defense is really bad. Yeah, yeah, they're awful. I mean, I, I saw them, you know, like on the second day of training camp. Um, they're bad. <laughs> so, like, they're going to. Somebody, I was talking to a reporter yesterday, Ed Werger from ESPN, right. and he he said they they took a guy that the Raiders cut. They traded for a guy that Tennessee was going to cut. They, um, God, who else have they signed? Oh, they're they're arguing hard to get Josh Brent back right earlier. Yep, and now they've taken Michael Sam. Um, oh, and there's one other person. Who is it? Um, Josh Brent. Oh, somebody else. There's there's one guy who like I'm trying to remember what it was. Oh, again, Moby Okoye, who almost died a year ago, is also. You know, and I, I don't try and be facetious about that kind of thing. I'm not saying it that way. But here's a guy who was almost dead a year ago, and and they've now they've kept him on their team. It's quite a collection of of people from vast backgrounds because they just don't have a lot of talent up front. And I know everybody's talking about Anthony Spencer's going to be back. What kind of shape is Anthony Spencer going to be in after no training camp, basically? And Demarcus Lawrence uh, going to come back a little bit later in the season as well. That's going to be an upgrade, but that still doesn't make them overly talented. And that's why Michael Sam is with this team because they need an upgrade in talent. It's purely a football first issue now are there some you know jersey sales things that probably help jerry jones and people talk about that yeah there's a little bit but i don't think that's enough that it you know it changes the full direction of the of the you know the business model for the cowboys you know a lot of people sit back the casual fan and and say okay jerry jones very wealthy multi-billion dollar jerry world stadium Uh uh-huh how did he get to this point with his football team where the talent level, especially as you just said on the defensive side of the ball is so mediocre? 
Well, there's a complicated nexus of things that happened, but at the root of it, um, Jerry was in charge. Yeah. Okay, of, of running the football operations. And, you know, they got to a point with, you know, DeMarcus Ware where the contract became too big. And they got to, you know, Sean Lee got hurt, which is, you know, that's bad luck. And they didn't re-sign Jason Hatcher. They were in cap problems because of Tony Romo and some other assorted guys. Um, they overpaid on Miles Austin a few years ago, and, and that's, you know, come home to roost for them. Uh, they overpaid on some offensive linemen who were mediocre guys. Um, they've they've made a lot of bad decisions in both drafting and re-signing players who were not necessarily, you know, that didn't necessarily pay off. And all of a sudden, you have you have this all build up to one point, and you basically have to clean up your cap. And when you have a team that cleans up its cap, and this is rare because the cap has become so large that most teams are immune to this, but they had so many big contracts at the same time that all of a sudden you've got to cut a ton of players who, while they're not worth the money that you're paying them, they were still better than anything that you're going to replace them with. It's interesting. I think they're going to be historically bad on the – defensive side of the ball. Well, it's hard to be worse than they were last year, but I tend to agree with you that it's it's ugly. I mean, and the 49ers, I mean, the 49ers are sort of a shell of what they were at the end of last year right now. Right. Um, for a variety of reasons. They'll, they'll eventually, once they get healthy and get Elton Smith back, they'll be fine in the second half of the season. We'll see how they survive the first nine games um, to see whether they make the playoffs or not. But... That first game uh, of the you know is really a mismatch of the Cowboys against the 49ers if the 49ers can run the ball the way I think they can. Let me ask you this about the 49ers since we're we're talking about them. There were reports during the offseason that there you know there was a rift with Jim Harbaugh, the coach, and and some of the front office people. They've had a lot of turmoil as we just mentioned uh, off the field and arrests and suspensions. What's you know Jim Harbaugh seems like a guy, a very intense guy. Do you think he's long for San Francisco, or is this it for him in in the Bay Area? I would more than likely bet if I yeah if I was a betting man, and it's been a long time since I bet anything on football other than uh, other than a six pack of beer, <laughs> that he will not be there. Um, in fact, pretty good chance he ends up in a place like Dallas or Miami next year. Um, a team trades for him and says this is a way who the guy who can reclaim our team. I think that barring a Super Bowl victory for the 49ers, which is going to be very difficult given the circumstances, barring that, there's going to be a divorce because you got too many high-strung, high, hard-driving people collected at the top, and that is starts with Harbaugh, who's the most open about that in terms of hard-driving. You've got the GM, Trent Baalke, where there's been a lot written about those two guys, and I don't think it's as much those two guys against each other as it is them, and then you have the salary cap person, Prague Marate, who's part of that, and then Jed York at the top. You've got some people with not always consistent um, consistent lines of thought. You know, you've got two guys who are very money-oriented in Marate and York, and two guys are very personnel-driven in Harbaugh and Balky, and this is a classic mismatch of football and finance, and 
those that neck that doesn't generally work that equation usually ends up in division um so i expect harbaugh to go in a power struggle uh, then again if they win a super bowl basically jed york has to pl- pay him whatever the market bears 8 to 10 million dollars a year i will say this if jed york stops for a moment and thinks for a second and says okay i've got jim harbaugh Let's remember the coaches I had before him. Right. Mike Singletary, Mike Nolan, uh, Steve Mariucci, Dennis Erickson. Uh, maybe I should pay the premium. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. i got to tell you about the 49ers. You know, everyone's been talking about their new stadium, Levi Stadium, and it's multi-billion, and it's the most teched-out stadium in the world. They've ripped up their field twice during the preseason at great expense. And to me, you know, I, I look at that kind of stuff as dysfunction within the organization. And, you know, I'm not blaming Jim Harbaugh or any of the coaching staff, but wow, that's a costly mistake this close to the season when that much planning went into this new, you know, state of the art stadium. Yeah, it's sort of, um, you would tend to say that, um, the first priority when building a football stadium is <laughs> the field. Right. Like, you would get that right. Yeah. Okay. Forget even, about even Wi-Fi. With, I get the field Even if you're right. playing with those stands that, you know, they, they have, they put up on, you know, tractors and they move them to the sideline, get the field right. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's one of those ones where it's like, seriously, dude, this is what, this is what this has come to. Um, but that's what it comes to. The field sort of they, they let it they they got it wrong. But eventually, like that's one thing you can fix. It's not that's not impossible. Right. A few minutes left with Jason Cole. Does a great job covering the NFL for the Bleacher Report. Follow him on Twitter at Jason Phil Cole. Uh, one of the big storylines heading into the season: Johnny Manziel, the most talked about backup quarterback in the NFL. How do you see everything playing out with Johnny Manziel this football season? I was I was really amused yesterday. Uh, I was listening to Merrill Hodges' screed. Well, he ripped him. Oh, it was fantastic! It was just. But he was, he rips guys. That's kind of his uh, brand. It's his shtick. It, it's Merrill's shtick. But he's not necessarily wrong. And and I will say this: the odds are overwhelming that Merrill Hodges is right. And from what I've seen of Johnny Menzel, I don't think he's going to make it either. But I do see the glimmer of an athlete who once he understands the speed of the game and what's going on starts to get it. If that makes sense. Like each time I've seen him, I saw him personally up close and personal in the scrimmage that they had way back on the first weekend of training camp. I saw him in the Washington game. And I've seen him on TV in the Detroit game. I haven't watched any of the rest. But he was always better at the end than he was at the beginning. In other words, he didn't go into the game, and the speed of the game flustered him so much that he didn't figure it out. And that's rare. You usually it goes the other way, that the speed of the game gets a guy completely out of his game. He loses focus, and he's lost. I've seen that much more often than I've seen the other one. So that gives me hope that Johnny Manziel will figure it out. My problem with Manziel is that He's such an undisciplined player, and he's so small. When you're that combination, it's hard to fix all the things that you need to fix in order to survive in the NFL. 
So that's why I say overwhelmingly the odds are against him. I will I'll also add that he's clearly the best quarterback that they have. You know, Brian Hoyer knows how to play in the NFL and is going to be more functional. But there's no question in my mind, Manziel's a better player than Hoyer if you just line up all the things that you have to do to function at quarterback. But that's not, you know, like that's not a ringing endorsement. It just means you're better than a guy who should be a backup. Well, the other thing, too, again, we discussed the business side of sports on this show. If you look at Johnny Manziel with the number one selling jersey in the NFL, the number of season tickets that have been sold, we're not talking about, you know, Manziel to the Broncos or the Patriots or the Colts. This is the Cleveland Browns who are struggling to be relevant at some point for those business reasons. Don't you have to put them on the field? Well, yeah, I mean, you're going to put them on the field for business reasons and for for football reasons, because he's the best option you have, and you hope that it's going to work, all right? So, but ultimately, I hear people when they talk about the business side of football and, you know, sell tickets. I just think that when you sell a mirage, when you know it's not really going to work, you ultimately undermine yourself in a greater way over the long run. Because the fans see that, and they say, well, you you know when when you when they finally figure out that a guy can't play, and they're like disappointed, I think it becomes worse for you. I, I I really do that. The fans trust you less in the long run when you keep trying to fool them with a bad product. The best thing you can do in the NFL is consistently try and win and show you're doing everything you can to win to keep a loyal fan base. That's why you know sports is a long-term, emotion-driven business. You know there aren't a lot of tangible assets in a in a sports team. What do you have? Equipment and a stadium and a practice facility. You know, and that's not worth all that much, especially in resale. Okay, what you're selling is hopes, dreams, entertainment. Okay. Well, people on a regular basis want to be able to go to the game and say, I know I'm going to be entertained on a Sunday. And I know that my team is going to do everything it can to win. That's why people are loyal to the Pittsburgh Steelers. That's why people are loyal to the Green Bay Packers. That's why people are loyal to a lot of these teams. That's why you're seeing a lot of disinterest among Cowboys fans right now, disinterest among Dolphins fans who used to be among the among. You know, the the Dolphins used to be one of the most followed teams in the NFL when Don Shula was there. And it lasted for a while after he was gone. So to me, the whole concept of putting Johnny Manziel out there because it's a good business decision, it's like, well, it better be a good football decision because the football drives the business. We've talked about a number of storylines during this conversation. Are there any, you know, one or two storylines heading into this NFL season that you have your eye on? Yeah, from I I really think that that the top three teams in the AFC, and that's New England, Indianapolis, and Denver. I'm fascinated to see how those teams morph over the season to turn themselves into legitimate Super Bowl contenders in terms of win, actually winning the Super Bowl. Because I. There's a little question in my mind that one of those three teams is going to be the team that goes to the Super Bowl. Cincinnati's there; they're talented, but it's still the Bengals, and they're run by you know they're they're run by the the Brown family. They'll find a way to screw it up. So, I, I what I'm trying to think is okay if you project that your pretty good idea that those teams are going to be in the Super Bowl, 
how do they win the Super Bowl against, I would say, the NFC's got four teams that are better than anything the AFC puts out there. You know, you go Seattle, certainly, after what they did. New Orleans, right there. Philadelphia took some big strides. They're interesting. Green Bay with Aaron Rodgers. And even San Francisco, if they get healthy in the second half of the season and get themselves into the playoffs, they're the kind of team that just has to get in and they could make a really interesting run. So how do you play against those teams? And I think that those that, that New England, Denver, and Indianapolis have to figure it out during this season, whether it's Denver with all of its new defensive personnel, whether it's New England trying to craft together uh, an offense that can do more than just play in a shoebox, you know, and can actually be an attacking offense that with somebody who gets downfield, or Indianapolis with a bunch of young players behind Andrew Luck, who two or three of those guys really have to step forward and become serious players, whether it's T.Y. Hilton or whether it's Trent Richardson or Beyond Warner. There's a bunch of guys on that team who have to say, we're going to be game-changing players, and that's going to allow us to win a Super Bowl. I think that that's one of those long-term football purist storylines that I'm fascinated to watch play out. All right, before I let you go, uh, as I've always said when you appear on this show, you're the best chef of any media <laughs> member I know. If you're sitting around during the NFL season and you want to make something quick to enjoy food-wise during the game, give me give me some. Well, my son and I just did this because um, I'd seen it in a uh, at, at Stu Leonard's, and I never thought to I've, I've I thought to combine them, and this is a complete Sunday decadence, you know, during game kind of thing to eat. And that is chili mac and cheese. Ooh, that okay. Good. Which, and I, you know, I make a, you know, exceptional chili. If I do say so myself, which is a <laughs> knockoff of my mother's recipe, Ooh. which is like, um, you actually use, you know, um, pork tenderloin and ground beef. And, you know, you cook the poblano peppers and the jalapenos and, the California peppers, and you know, you, you cook off those off to the side. You peel them, you put it all together. Very, you know, very spicy. And then you take a really good mac and cheese. I'm not talking about craft. Let's not, you know, let's not go there. You know, use use the Monterey Jack um, cheese with the peppers in it. Use a really good white cheddar um, with some parmesan, you know, some parmesan in there. Use a little bit of heavy cream to get some sweetness to it um, to cut through the. The sort of um, bitterness of the of the white cheddar, the sharp white cheddar. You do that, and you mix the chili in, and you bake it together. Um, and wow, it, it was perfect because you could you you got the heat of the spice of the chili combined with the creamy fattiness of the mac and cheese, and you might as well just go comatose. No kidding. That is some good comfort food right there during oh, the fall, it was, winter my, months. My son was so happy. He was, yeah, it was like his one, because he's in rowing, and he's like, I can only do this once, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Get it good. Make it good, right? Exactly. That's great stuff from Jason Cole. Does a tremendous job covering the NFL for the Bleacher Report. Again, follow him on Twitter at Jason Phil Cole. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time to join us. No problem. Take care. Thank you. You're listening to Sports Business Radio. We'll be right back. Stay in touch with SBR on Twitter. Twitter.com slash SB Radio. Powered by Postano. Why you gotta be so rude? Don't you know I'm human too? Why you gotta be so rude? 
Sophia Berger. I want to tell you about the Pixie Project. The Pixie Project matches pets to the right people. The Pixie Project takes pride in finding matches for both people and animals. The Pixie Project also offers low-cost veterinary assistance. My family worked with the Pixie Project to adopt our lovable puppy, Scotty. He's a great addition to our family. So if you get a dog or cat, kitten or puppy, you should go to the Pixie Project. To learn more about the Pixie Project, visit them at www.pixieproject.org. Back to Sports Business Radio with Brian Berger. We are back to wrap up this edition of Sports Business Radio. I want to thank our guest, Jason Cole, terrific reporter for Bleacher Report. He does a great job. At Jason Phil Cole is how you can find him on Twitter. Uh, Brian Cheek, director of sports for Pistano. Speaking of Pistano, I've worked with them to put together a panel for the uh, South by Sports Conference, part of the South by Southwest lineup next March. I'd moderate a panel that includes executives from the Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and the Cleveland Cavaliers to vote for our panel. Go to panelpicker.sxsw, like South by Southwest.com. Panelpicker.sxsw.com. We'd appreciate your vote. Uh, I want to thank our show staff, Brian Griggs, Josh Blank, Doug Zanger. Again, thanks to our friends at Pistano for powering Sports Business Radio. Follow them online at Pistano.com or on Twitter at Pistano. A podcast reminder, you can catch our show on demand. You can go to iTunes and type in Sports Business Radio. We're one of the top business news podcasts. You can find us on Swell, TuneIn, Stitcher, a number of different outlets where you can find our show and you can always go to sportsbusinessradio.com and find our latest episodes there. If you're looking for some of our best conversations with people like David Stern, Mark Cuban, Charles Barkley, Jack Nicholas, Sugar Ray Leonard, and many, many others, just go to sportsbusinessradio.com and look at the interview section and you can find those conversations there. Follow me on Twitter at SB Radio. For Brian Griggs, I'm Brian Berger. Have a great week, and we'll talk to you soon right here on Sports Business Radio. Hi, it's Brian Berger. Here at Sports Business Radio, we are proud to work with our partners, Pastano. They make a sports-proven visual marketing platform that I've personally been amazed to see. Teams like the Dallas Cowboys, Boston Red Sox, LA Kings, and Cleveland Cavaliers all use Pastano to engage their fans. When sports teams and fans tell their stories together, amazing things can happen. Every fan has a story. Whether you want to put selfies on the Jumbotron, create a dynamic social media command center, or activate a hashtag campaign on your website, Pastano can design an amazing social experience true to your brand. Even better, using the Pistano platform can pay for itself through selling sponsorships. As an example, the Kings sell sponsor space to Toyota and other clients and run the ads using Pistano. Want to see what your team's social content could look like? Schedule a demo today. Go to pistano.com slash sports. If you're a fan of this podcast, you understand the real power of engaging your fans. And these guys get it. That is P-O-S-T-A-N-O dot com.